So I told you that Rob wasn't feeling well, uh, and we talked about it a little this morning. And I uh, thought that it was really important that you guys are still able to hear the word, uh, that you are still able to be equipped in some way, shape, or form. So we worked on, I worked on it this morning. Um, might be a little shorter than normal, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but our goal is that you still get to hear the word, that you're still edified, uh, that you still get to know the Lord more, getting to hear from him, that you leave here today, hopefully, uh, with a spoken word that you can go home with and apply to your life. So, uh, like I said, I want to talk about Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. It's a passage that's been super important in my life, uh, especially as I had first become a believer, um, and then a good ways into college. This is the passage that uh, tells us not to be anxious. It describes all the things that God has done for us, and how He's sovereign and in control uh, in so many different ways. Uh, describes His power, uh, and it shows us a lot about who we are and the things that we tend to trust. So, I've always walked away with it, uh, with some new information about what I'm trusting in uh, at different stages of my life uh, and what I tend to be valuing above God and placing before Him. Um, and ultimately, I leave knowing, knowing the Lord a little bit more and trusting the Lord a little bit more every time I read this passage. So I hope that same thing happens for you this morning. And with that being said, I think this passage shows us three very important things. And the first is that it shows us who we are. And that's that we're sinners who worry. Uh, and who ultimately don't trust God, at least not all the time. We don't trust God all the time, and that's why we sin. Uh, the second thing I think it shows us is who God is. It shows us His character, and it shows us His person. And these are the things that we need to know in order to have a deep personal relationship with God. That's the relationship that saves us. That's the relationship that changes our hearts, changes us from the inside out. It's the reason we begin to look more like Christ. And then thirdly, it shows us how we are to live in light of who God has made us to be through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, just to shorten those points for you, if you're taking notes, it shows us who we are, it shows us who God is, and it shows us who we are, how we are to live in light of this new identity. So those are your three main points that we're going to try to move through this morning. So in verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? So, I want to look at this word, therefore. This word, therefore, in verse 25 Jesus is using this to reference what he's already talked about in verses 19 through 24. So, we may not have those on the screen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 19 through 24 to you. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I want to break these down. What's Jesus getting at when he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth? So Jesus is simply saying, store up your treasure in heaven. And the only way we can do that, truly do that, is if we're trusting God. So Jesus also points out here that where we store our treasure reveals our heart. So that's the things we work for, the things you think about, the things you talk about, right? Because if you talk about what you love, it shows where your heart is. The things you stress and worry about, these are the reasons. The reason, and the reasons we worry about those things that we're stressed about, those show us where our hearts are. So Jesus ends up finishing this statement by telling us that we can only truly serve one master. Because if we attempt to serve two, we will love the one and despise the other. So that means is you can attempt to pursue serving the world and serving the Lord, but ultimately one is going to win out. And ultimately you're going to despise one and you're going to love the other. So what's that look like? There's really only two options. You're really pursuing the Lord, you're loving the Lord, and you begin to look at sin and you begin to look at the things that you used to treasure in the world and hopefully they begin to make you sick because they lose their shine in your eye. Hopefully, that's what's happening. The other option is that you begin to despise the Lord and you begin to cling after these worldly treasures. You begin to worry about those things and you trust in those things more than you trust in the Lord. And as you do that, you despise the Lord. You don't trust in Him. Those are really our only two options. That's what Jesus makes, makes pretty clear here. Uh, so you can attempt to pursue those two things. But ultimately one will win out. And Jesus makes it clear that only one will win out because only one thing can rule our hearts. And then Jesus closes the statement by saying, you can't serve God in money. And the Greek word used here for money is mammon, just meaning wealth and possessions. And then Jesus begins speaking about our anxiousness here. So he transitions from saying, hey, watch where you're storing your treasures up. Because where you store your treasures up, will be very, very plain to see. And then he moves into this anxiety. And the reason that I think he moves into talking about where you store your wealth, where you store your treasures up, are because he knows that we're not going to find all we need in him. We're not going to trust in him. We're not going to store our treasure up in him. So what he's about to do is he's about to point out all these different ways that he's sovereign, all these things that he cares for well, and all the ways that we're anxious and how we shouldn't be. And the reason he does that is because he knows our hearts. He knows that we're going to fail him. And he knows that we need to know who he is in order to be able to be changed and to be different. And that's why he begins going into uh, everything he launches into in verses 25 through 34. So he gives us these incredibly important truths. Uh, He gives us these great descriptions of who he is and how he cares for the grass and the birds and the lilies of the field. And he does that to show us why we can trust him. So those are the things that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Um, Yeah. He also is seeking to show us the great value that we have in his eyes and how we are ultimately a worried and anxious people because we're often not serving God. Uh, Something I've found to be very, very true 
the past, I'd say the past four years as a believer is that I know I personally say like I serve God and I meet people who say like we serve God, but then we often let our daily decisions and our financial decisions and our work life and our home life and our friendships and even our spare time be motivated and influenced by things other than God and His Word. And what that does is it creates a great amount of grief and anxiety and worry for us. And that's why Jesus starts this passage with therefore and why He begins describing His own character and pointing out the things that we worry about. Because He knows. He knows that all the people He's talking to in the Sermon on the Mount are not treasuring Him. And He knows that they're anxious and they're worried about things and they're working hard because they don't find all they need in Him. So, the rest of verse 25, going into verse 26, it says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So Jesus begins by pointing out like basic needs. These are one of the biggest problems uh, at this point in time. They're trying to take care of themselves. We're in a, a different walk of life. We're not nearly as concerned about just making sure that we get everything done to be fed daily. That's not our biggest concern, right? But we do have other concerns. We're concerned with the way people think of us and how they see us and if we're approved of. The point of this is that Jesus is saying, like, you can worry about all these other things or you can trust in me. In verse 26, I really like how he describes these things because Jesus continues to show us things that we should examine. He just uses nature and creation to show us, hey, we should, we should really look at the world and how God is in control. And he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is saying the birds don't work as hard as you do, and your heavenly Father feeds them. So we work hard. This is a hardworking generation. You live in America uh, where if you work hard, you can do anything and you can have anything, and it's all going to be okay. As long as you work hard, it's going to be all right. Jesus is trying to show us why we're working so hard. He wants to get to the root issue of your heart. So working hard is a good thing. Scripture tells us to work hard. Scripture tells us in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Work hard. You're supposed to do everything in God's name. To not do it to the best of your ability is to not do it the right way. So... If hard workers are highly sought after, if Scripture tells us to work hard, then what's so bad about us working hard? Why is Jesus saying, hey, don't work hard? Or don't work hard in this instance? I think there's two big reasons uh, why this would be a bad thing. That's because when we work Well, I think our desire to work becomes a bad thing when we work out of motivations that are sinful or self-serving. So what's that look like? This is what it looks like. We see that for people, we see that for the people Jesus is speaking to, their primary struggle is that they work hard because they don't trust God to provide the basic things that they need. 
So instead of working hard and trusting God, they, uh, they just trust themselves. It's always easier to be your own boss than to trust God. You say, I'm just going to put it all on myself. I'm just going to do the most uh, that I can, and we'll see what happens as a result of that. So instead of working hard and trusting God, they work hard out of fear that God won't deliver because they don't know how to trust God. And the second thing that I think is far more applicable to all of us is that <clears throat> we work hard so that we can feel worthy, so that we can feel loved, so that we can gain things from the world, so that we can serve ourselves, um, so we can find our identity or find our worth in our work itself. And those are these harmful motivations uh, or sinful motivations of the heart that can cause us to work hard for the wrong reasons. And I would say that's the biggest problem here. I think Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, uh, they show us two really important things. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll look at these two important points. It says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this first one is addressed to bond servants. These are the people who would have served a Lord. They would have been underneath someone. Um, it's referring to those who are under the rule of others. But it applies to us nonetheless because, in a sense, you are under the rule of others. You are supposed to submit to the authorities, as Romans 13 says. You are going to work every day for someone, most of you. That's showing your own business. But you're underneath someone. So it applies to us because as servants of God, we work hard for the authorities that we are under. Not just when they are looking and not just to be liked, but because we desire to serve God sincerely. Out of love for God and out of that love comes a love for people and a desire to do things the way that Jesus did them, which is always to the best of our ability. So this, this verse points out these, these key things that I just mentioned. When we're serving, we're obeying in everything those who are above us, not by way of eye service. That means not just when they're looking, you don't just do the right thing because someone's looking. If you only do the right thing because someone's looking, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It means your heart hasn't fully been changed. It means your heart's not in the right place. Jesus did the right thing all the time, even when no one was looking. Why? Because he knew that it was the right thing. It was what was most glorifying to God, and ultimately it was what was best for him and best for everyone else around him. Next, it talks about people-pleasers. If we don't do the right thing to be liked and to be loved by the world, Scripture often tells us that when you're doing the right thing, when you're pursuing the Lord, you will be hated by the world. That's why Rob started this sermon series on Peter. It's a book about suffering, how to glorify God in the middle of suffering as you seek to live a holy, holy life, to be the holy nation that uh, 1 Peter 1 talks about, right? To be the living temple, uh, so, we're not doing it to be people pleasers. We're doing it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And this is out of reverence for the Lord. We're doing these things because Jesus first loved us 
first served us, went before us, and lived the perfect life. And that's the only way that you can do these things. You can only do these things that we're talking about. You can only serve with the right heart, doing the right thing, doing the best of your ability all the time. If you realize and are changed by the fact that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for you so that you could have a better life here and now and so that you could spend eternity in heaven with Him. Until those truths change your heart, you can't serve and do the right thing when no one is looking. In verses 23 through 24, it says, Whatever you do, work hardly, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This shows us what the true motivation of our heart should be. Work for God and not for men. We're working for the Lord because we've already been approved by Christ. We don't have to work for the approval of others because God looks upon you and says, I approve of you. I love you. You're enough. You're worthy. You don't have to work hard to be loved by worldly, worldly things, worldly organizations, or other people, right? Because the way they see you, the way they feel about you, that can change. People will love you one minute, and then they'll hate you and, and curse you the next, especially as a believer, because you'll do something kind for them one minute, and then maybe you'll share some truth about them, or maybe you'll ask some questions, and they'll get irritated And then they'll be done with you for a while. So if you're living your life to please people and to be liked by people, your life's going to be full of a lot of grief. That's the wrong motivation. That's not the reason to do it. If you're doing good things to be liked by people, then you're doing them with the wrong heart. It's the wrong motivation. You're toiling for the wrong things because you're already approved of. You're already loved. Jesus came and died so that the Father would see you as holy and pure and blameless. So you don't have to work hard. So we're working for God and not for men because God loves us no matter what we do because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It doesn't mean you can trample underfoot the grace of God like Hebrews talks about because you should be changed. And this love should change you. Knowing that you're approved of in this way should change you. So we... Make sure that we're treasuring God by understanding these truths. By understanding and knowing that we will receive this inheritance that he's talking about in this verse as our reward. Meaning that we remember and treasure the fact that the God of the universe has chosen and died for you so that you could be a part of his family. And so that you could experience life with God and so you could spend eternity in his presence. The last thing that I think we need to look at in this verse is the personal language. I just want to read it again just so you can see the personal language in this verse, verse 26. As it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's your heavenly Father. He says, are you not of more value than they? You were created in God's image. If God takes care of the birds, then why would he not take care of you? The verse is meant to show you your value and worth to God. And the people that Jesus is speaking to, they don't know this yet, but Jesus is going to die on the cross for them and their sins the same way he died on the cross for us and our sins. Jesus is saying, I've got it. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. If I can take care of your salvation and you can trust me with that, then 
Can't you trust me with the day to day? So notice the personal language as you read scripture. He's your heavenly father. He says, hey, you're created in, in my image. Are you not of more value than they? Lastly, I don't want you to take anything away from that verse that isn't biblical. We're not saying quit working and practicing wisdom uh, because it is definitely important that you work and do the best that you can in everything that you do, that you seek to do it all for the glory of God. And we know that this is not a verse saying, hey, it's going to be okay, God's going to provide for you, you don't have to work hard, you don't have to use wisdom, you don't have to uh, pursue Him in those things. And we know that's not the case because of what he says in verse 33 where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You have to seek the kingdom, which is seeking the Lord and his righteousness. Those things will be added to you. As you seek the kingdom and his righteousness, it changes you because your desires change. So you're no longer desiring these worldly things. So this isn't a prosperity message where like, hey, if you just desire it and you pray for it, you'll get it. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, seek the kingdom and his righteousness and the things that you need, the things of the Lord, the things that are most important. Those things will be added to you. That's why Jesus points that out. So remember that. Um, that Jesus is not saying, I'll quit working and practicing wisdom. Uh, but he's saying, look at the reason you are working. Look at the motivations of your heart that drive you on, drive you forward every day. These next couple verses, verse 27, it says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Because God is in control of your life. You cannot work harder. You have the time that you have, and the Lord is sovereign over that time. Verses 28 and 29 says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus ends this, this short passage here, saying like, hey, I'm, I'm in control. Why are you worried about these things that, that I'm in control of, that you were never meant to be in control of? You were meant to trust me with all of these things, and he points out the, li- the lilies of the field, how they're adorned in greater glory than, than Solomon was, who was this incredibly rich king from the Old Testament who had all, all of this wealth and all these fine robes and everything. He had everything. And he says, if I take care of the lilies, why well, not take care of you? And he says, if he's taking care of the grass, which was grown just to be burned and used, and it's growing, will he not much more take care of you? And then he ends it by saying, oh, you of little faith. And he's not saying, oh, you of little faith to say you have no faith. He's saying, you don't have the faith that you should. You don't have the trust that you should have in God. And why does Jesus say that? It's because we lack trust in God. I said, Jesus isn't saying there's a complete absence of faith. He's saying there is a deficiency. He's saying that the amount that we currently have could be greater. He's saying we don't trust God as much as we should. And that's because we forget Him. We forget who He is. We forget what He's like, how powerful He is, how much He cares about us. And we know that all those things are true because we can look at our lives and say, 
hey, yesterday, when I made that decision, did God influence that decision at all? Was I trusting in my own ability to make all my decisions of the day? Was I trusting in my own desire to spend my time this way? Did God have any say in that? If not, then we're trusting in something else, whether that's ourself or someone else. And all of these things cause us to worry. We're worried because deep down we know that all of these other things that we're trusting in besides God, they're probably not going to cut it. They can't do what God can do for us. And Merriam-Webster uh, defines worry as meaning to think about problems or fears, to feel or show fear and concern because you think that something bad has happened or could happen. And when you don't trust in God, that is exactly what will happen. Something bad will happen or could happen. You're not trusting in the Lord. You're not trusting in the God who cares for you and whose way is best. As we move on in verses 31 to 32, they say this. Therefore, he's referencing everything he's just said, all of the ways that God takes care of all these other creations. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, don't worry about those things. God knows what you need says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who don't believe. Because in living a life where we don't trust the Lord, we ultimately don't show anyone God's glory. And we don't live lives that reflect the gospel. We don't live lives that are glorifying to Him. So he blatantly tells them, hey, the lives that you're living, they look like the lives of unbelievers because you are worried. You're called to be a people of peace who can trust the Lord. Verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what does that mean? And what does that look like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I think it looks like us spending more time seeking God individually in his word. Uh, That means outside of Sunday, we spend time in His Word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time gathering with other believers, investing in one another, um, asking one another questions about, hey, what are you reading? How have you seen God move in your life? What's going on in your life? How can I be praying for you? Seeking to grow outside of Sundays. Those are ways that we can grow. Those are ways that we can seek the kingdom of God. So what we need to do is slow down and refocus on Him. Um, I think as we do that, we'll see our personal work-related and other worries kind of fall away as we trust a God who's in control. Uh, and ultimately, we'll receive what we need. Uh, <coughs> I think a great, great illustration of this uh, that I heard a long time ago is that there was a little girl walking through a store with her parents, and they see that one of those cheap, very cheap fake pearl necklaces like kids see, in the store all the time. And she wants it, asks her parents for it, and they tell her, well, if you save up the $2 to get it, then by doing extra chores, then, yeah, we have no problem doing that. So she goes home, and she does chores for the next two days. And her parents bring it home, and they surprise her with it. 
And then she wears it all the time. She wears it everywhere. And her dad comes in every night to read her a story. And after reading her a story, he says, hey, will you give me that, that necklace? And she says no every night. Until one night, he walks in after he finishes her story. And her lips quivering. And he says, what's wrong? And she says, you can have it. And she gives it to him. And is crying. And the father pulls out a brand new case. And he says, baby, these are real pearls. I was waiting on you to give up the cheap stuff. To give you something better. And, well, that's just a, a funny little story of, of a young girl I think for us, that's what it looks like to seek the kingdom. You have to give up the cheap stuff first. You have to stop trusting in the things that aren't really important. You have to stop seeking to spend your days pursuing the things that are of the world. Saying, oh, I can spend my time like this. Or, oh, I don't need to worry about that. Or, it's not really that important if I speak in, in this way. Or don't speak in kindness. Or don't speak in, in love and compassion. It's not really that important if I don't seek to communicate in a way that is loving and that glorifies God. Because that's God's way. And we have to trust that His way is better. And that's hard. That's why the little girl struggled to give up her necklace, right? So he's saying you have to seek first the kingdom. To seek first the kingdom means to trust God and God alone. So he says, seek first the king, kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean that you will like all the things that are added to you. Uh, and you'll see that, especially as Rob continues to go through his, his message on suffering um, as we go through First Peter. Because as you seek the kingdom first, there will be suffering. But ultimately, it will be for God's glory and for your good and for the good of everyone else around you. And lastly, in verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, Jesus just references, hey, everything I just told you about how you can trust the Father, about how you can trust me, these are the most important things. I think this verse is really great because you can spend so much of your time focusing on tomorrow's problems when the Lord has called you to be where you are today. You can spend a lot of time worrying about what is to be and what is to come. While it's important that you prayerfully plan ahead and you seek to take care of the things that may arise, it's also very important that you are where you are today, that you seek to bring the gospel and the glory of God to all the situations you're going to face today. So we can worry about what is to come, or we can really make sure that we're pursuing the Lord where we are today. We can worry about the future. Or we can make the most of the time in the situations we have today and the people and with the people we're going to be around today. So don't spend your entire day worrying about the events of what will come. Um, but trust in the Lord. Um, trust in a God who's proven his love for us time and time again throughout Scripture and through our daily lives. Um, and ultimately through Jesus, as we've seen that. If there's anyone that you can ultimately trust who will never fail you, it's Jesus, the one who went to the cross for you. Like you can trust God in his way every day because he wouldn't have sent Jesus um, for you if he didn't love you and care for you more than anyone ever would or ever could. So let's close.